All right, so where did we, do you know where we are, what we're doing? Oh, wait. John. John, yeah. book of John, okay. We learned about, like, So, what what was the dove? What is the dove? It was like the spirit coming down on Jesus. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, okay, coming down, and then there's another piece of that baptism. We have this. The name. Trifecta Adam here. God or whatever. The uh, we talked about that. Okay. Um, like that, like how that wasn't used. One is the dove. So we have the Holy Spirit. And who's standing in the water? Jesus. Jesus is the, the sun. sun. And how do we know he's the sun? Because God told him to be the sun. Because he is the sun. If God is on earth, then he is Jesus. That's how it works, right? If Jesus is on earth, then he's on the And then if he's in heaven, he's God. And if he's. Sorry, that was okay. New Community Foundation. I don't remember the trial. Alright, so, well, because the Son, the Holy Spirit, and who's left? The Father. The Father, and how do we know there was a Father? Because we were What did he say? The heavens opened and said, this is my beloved son, son <laughs> whom I am well pleased. Right? My son means he's a father. He's a father. Oh, look at that. So we see right there the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is significant because it proves who Jesus is. Is okay. That proves who Jesus is. Now, back another week. Before that, we talked about the Statue of Liberty. And what is what was the point of the Statue of Liberty? What does the Statue of Liberty say? Freedom. Well, it was a gift. It says freedom without saying the word freedom, right? What does it mean? Not everybody knows what the Statue of Liberty actually says on its, on its tablet, right? In its arm, around the world. But everybody knows, everybody knows what it means in other countries. They look and they say, that is a symbol of freedom, okay? And we talked about how you can communicate an idea through a symbol or through um, some sort of stone we looked at. We looked at different things where you're putting in this thing to say, here, look at this. Look at this. And I am communicating an idea. Okay, so it was all about communicating an idea or many ideas. All right, so the Statue of Liberty says, I don't even know if it says the actual word liberty on it, okay? But it definitely tells the world that this represents freedom, okay? Our country represents freedom, and that's what it means. So, the book of John, 
talks first about the word. Remember this? The word is God. And the word created the world. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And what is a word? What does the word do? A word means it's a way of communicating. Expresses, it communicates an idea. Important stuff. Right? It communicates an idea. So if you have a word, um, you can have the word caterpillar, right? Because it happens to be up here. A word caterpillar is something that communicates an idea to you. You know what a caterpillar is by putting down those letters, okay? So the word of God, Jesus, comes and communicates something to us. And that communicates love and light. And we talked a little about those things. Light in particular... Because light shined in the darkness, and what did it say? The darkness did not understand. All right? And so we get this very weird thing. My overarching thought of the book of John is God has a message. Okay? God has a message. He is trying to communicate this to mankind. He is trying to get at us and tell us something. He looks down across the human race, down across the world, and he is saying, in the book of John in particular, and that's how John writes his book, is to say, there's something bigger going on. It's not just Jesus is a man born on earth and he did these great things. Okay? Although he did get born on earth and he did do great things, but there's something bigger. You have to see it from God's point of view as he's saying, I'm trying to tell you something. And how better to do it than to express his own love through his son. Right? That's what he's trying to do. That's what he's trying to communicate. And then he's saying last week with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, look, this is my son. I am very pleased with what he does. So Jesus is pretty early in his ministry at this point. But he has made a big splash to begin with. And really, he has not gone far. Okay. But he is getting a reputation for some interesting things. All right. So this week, there's a whole new idea. There's a whole new idea that we have to look at. And how, how do you change a habit? You don't know how to change a habit. You don't do it anymore. Okay. It's easy to say. Yeah, right. <laughs> you don't do it anymore. You have and to work at it. You have to work at it. How long does it take to change a habit? Years, probably. Always. 30 days. 30 days. 30 days. You can change a habit. And they say, <laughs> they say, if you will do that and work at something for 30 days, you will begin to create a new habit. How easy is it to go back to an old habit? Really easy. Way easier than getting a new habit, okay? Right like that. You don't have to think about it. But if you continually work at it, you may succeed. So your mind is a part of changing your habits, right? Your mind is how you begin to change your habits. How else do you change your habits? Say you pick your nose, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just say that you do. <laughs> okay, all right. You put some better stuff on it because you apparently pick your nose and then eat it, right? That's the no, bad thing. Biting your nails. Oh, oh biting your nails. Okay, right. All right. No, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I put this better stuff on there. My dad made me, and then I bit it, and then it was in my mouth, and I just kept going. Yep. Didn't matter. No. So. Some of it's in your mind, right? To change that habit. Where else? Your body. Your body, okay? Your body has to be a part of 
changing a habit because that's where a lot of your habits lie is right in your body okay you like to eat McDonald's or whatever right or Burger King or french fries or Whoppers or whatever ice cream maybe all those things and you build a habit and your body has a physical craving right and it says, ooh, I like the sugar that's in those things. Give me more. When you create the habit, you continue to do it, all right? Then you go back after you have eaten a whole bunch of white bread and ice cream and cool, all kinds of great things like that, right? And then you just say, now I'm going to eat broccoli. How does broccoli taste after you do that? If you like broccoli and you've created that habit, other this, than that, this is, not, this is not sugar. This is not sugar, right? Something's wrong with this. Reject this. No good. Okay. And if you've had enough, actually, when you first start to eat healthier food versus non-healthier food, whichever that is, your body says, "Ah, oh, I can't do that. I don't feel good. I don't." But slowly over your habit, changing your habit, you can get there. Now, is that, that's your body and your mind, all right? Can you change things with your body and your mind? Absolutely, people do it all the time. And these are the pieces that most people are much in contact with in their life, all right? They're the pieces of you that you're in contact with all the time. You wake up in the morning, happen to break your leg in rugby, well, maybe not break it, but whatever, happen to do it, and then you feel it the next morning. You're very much in contact with the pain, right? Feel it. Anybody ever broken anything else? You did? You broke my pinky oh, toe. Yes. You broke your pinky toe, all right? The only bone I've ever broken. How does it feel? It hurts. hurts, right? Pain? You felt pain before? You felt pain, right? Yes. It's very real, right? Do you think you can positively think your way out of that pain? No. Not real pain. <laughs> Probably not. Okay, you can't say it'll just go away because life is wonderful. Yeah. It's real. And, and there's no expectation from God to say that pain is not real. Your mind, do you think your mind is a powerful thing? Yeah. Absolutely. Can you change habits with your mind? Yes, you can. You can work on habits and say, I'm not going to eat Whoppers anymore. I'm not going to eat Butterfingers anymore. Those are my favorite candy bar, okay? Never gonna eat another one again. And can you do that? Is it possible? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is, it's for all, but change something, all right? You can't, there you go, potato chips, right? Your favorite. So your mind and your body, your mind and your body are a part of what you, what makes up what you do. But Jesus comes in and says, while that's true, there's something totally different that you need. All right, he gets a visit, and this man who he gets a visit from uh, is used to certain ways of thinking. All right, we're going to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And we're going to do verse 1 and 2, please. <laughs> Why did you sigh? Phoebe, read one and two. <laughs> we'll get back to you. You, there's all kinds of things. Man, <laughs> nice and loud. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou do doest except for God be with him. 
All right? So who shows up? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, right? And he is famous later on. Nicodemus. Sorry, I have to fall out of my head. All right? He's famous later on for? Taking Jesus off the cross. Taking Jesus off the cross. So apparently, he really did become a friend of Jesus. All right? But he came to Jesus, and what did he say? Only a man sent by God can do miracles. We know that you are from God. Who's we? The rabbis. The Pharisees. Oh, yeah. Him... And all the other ones that were afraid to come to him. Apparently, apparently, there were some people who said, I don't know what what everybody else is saying, but clearly this man is very different. He has been doing miracles. He has done things that only someone with God's hand in their life can do. All right? Only that. But... He comes to him in the middle of the night. Why does he come to the middle of the night? So that the other ones can't see him talking to him? Because Jesus has taken every concept that, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders of the day, we'll call them pastors and teachers, okay, whatever they might be, priests, and bishops or whomever, all of those standard leaders don't like the way Jesus does it. They don't like what he says. They don't like really what he looks like or who he is. He does not have their training. He does not have their experience in leading religious groups. He does not have uh, their background, and he's not born in the right family for them. All right? But Jesus is not swayed by any of these things. And yet, there's a group that says, though all of those things might be true, clearly he's different. I need to go talk to him. So Nicodemus comes by night. Why? Because he's going to face retribution if he does not. Right? And we find out that the people that helped Jesus did face retribution for some time. And many people lost their wealth, their money, their power, their positions. Because who held all the positions even after Jesus died and rose again? Still the high priests, even the bad ones, they were still there. Didn't seem like they should be, right? Because we hear the story of Jesus' victory in the cross. And truthfully, it is his victory. But, but, they're still in charge. They're still in power. But they have no power over certain people anymore. And they begin to wane over time. All right, because really God takes away the entire stability of that country. After Paul comes through with the church and the church begins to do things, then things people get dispersed. And God uses the dispersing, the diaspora, to put members of Christ's church all over the world. All right, so God uses it. And Jesus comes in some of the last stable days of the Roman Empire in Jerusalem. It's an occupied territory. He comes in there and God uses it. All right. So here's Nicodemus who has got power at this point. He is above many, many other Jews. But he's honest a bit with himself. All right, so let's see what Jesus says to him. So he says, come in and look, teacher, you must be from God. What is Jesus' first answer? Have it. Go. Verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right. He didn't even say anything about 
He answered him. What did he say? Teacher, we know you're from God. You do all these miracles. And what is it that he says? Right down to the point, he flips over the conversation and he begins to be talking about being born again. Being born again. And this is really confusing. All right? It's really confusing to him. Now, how many of you have ever taken any other class with another language? Okay? Other languages, all right? When you learn other languages, when you first start it, what does it sound like to you? Nothing. Nothing. Right? It doesn't mean anything. And are they real words? Yeah. Absolutely. What's the problem? You don't know them. You don't know them, right? You only know your frame of reference. You don't know the other frame of reference. And what about music? Until you learn notes in music, it's foreign. It's foreign. It's just like another language. Math is the same way. You first hit algebra and you look at why are there letters on my page? They don't work, right? First time you look at it until you begin to understand that concept and you say, oh, well, that's, I can kind of get where that's coming from. It means something a little different, all right? Learning these new things, new concepts are real. They're real out there. They exist. But just because you don't understand them does not mean they're not true. And so Jesus throws this brand new concept and says, you're not good enough. And Nicodemus, you have to understand you have come from a group of people who has made up thousands of little rules. And thousands of little rules have to be followed exactly. So if you want to tithe your your everything you own, your wealth. You need to walk out into your garden and you need to go down and get down on your hands and knees and count each plant. And when you get to number 10, you better pull that and give it to God. Because if you're not, if you miss a plant, you didn't give enough to God. Alright? And by the way, don't do that on the Sabbath day because that would be work count those plants, to pull a plant out and bring it to God. That's work. All of those things are what he's been used to. So what is he told gets him to heaven? Um, Rules. Yeah. Rules. If I live good enough, I'm going to get there. And Jesus comes to him and says, you just don't understand this. You don't understand what's happening. You need to be born again. You need to be brand new. Alright? Verse number 4, four, five, six, and 7, please. Read that. Nicodemus says unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Alright, so he said, gotta be born again there, Nicodemus. And he says, what are you talking about? Do, you, do I have to crawl back in? I'm, I am this big now, and my mother is this big, right? Do I have to crawl back in her womb? And then be reborn? Ain't gonna work. And Jesus says, no, you, you're, you're not understanding what this means. What happens when a baby is born? It cries. <laughs> it cries. When a baby is born, you have a brand new person. All right? And that brand new person has a whole lot of things about it, right? Brand new person. How many of you have ever held a baby that is a day old or two days old? All right. Oh, I have a sister. <laughs> you do have a sister. 
You've held a baby day old, two days old, something like that, maybe? Not well, that young. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, but pretty young. When you get that brand new little baby, and you look at it, what do you know about that baby? Literally nothing at all. Nothing. It's name. Right, <laughs> and even and even that. Personally, I have struggled for the first little while remembering even my own children's name, and I picked them. Wait. It took a while. It took a while. Yes. Oh, yeah. Don't pick on me until you get one someday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, like, like, because you have to learn it. He goes. Just because you pick it one day doesn't mean you just know it forever. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's the name. Well, that's what <laughs> that is. And the more kids you get, the worse it gets. But here's a brand new person. You really know nothing. And what do they know? Nothing. Nothing. They have brand new concepts. Everything they do comes about. And Jesus says, yes, you need to be born of the water and of the spirit. All right? Now, you're filled, surrounded as a baby inside of a womb, every one of us, by amniotic fluid. And when that uh, amniotic fluid breaks, the sac says... The, the term that we call now is your water broke, right? Because you're born when that water breaks, right? Or very soon. You're coming at that point. There is no resting enough to not have it come. It's coming, all right? And it's exactly the way Jesus says, okay, you're going to be born two ways in your life if you're going to get this right. He says once of the water and once of the spirit. Now, what do you know? about when babies are born. Can you exactly put down the date? Only if... Only if you... You, you, you <laughs> cut it open, right? If a doctor cuts it open. But how about natural birth? Can't really. You can't really. You can say, I think about this time. It looks like it. And even now, we could take pictures of those babies inside the mother's womb and say, it's 18 weeks old, and at 39 and a half weeks, children are born, except maybe 40, maybe 41 and a half weeks, maybe 35 weeks, maybe 30 weeks. You don't know when these babies are coming. You don't have control over that. But you do know the signs. They're pretty obvious, okay? When a woman is pregnant, yep, it's coming. And there's no way out, no way around it at that point. There's going to be a baby. And that's what's growing inside of there, and that's going to happen. That's exactly what Jesus is saying with this being born of the Spirit. All right? Something happened inside of you when God touched you. All right? When God came, the Spirit came down inside of you, and there was a new creation. A seed planted. When did it happen? I don't really know. When is it going to be born? I don't really know. But if God begins that touch in your life and says, I'm going to reach down into your heart and do something in you, that doesn't mean that moment that you're necessarily born again that moment. All right? God oftentimes works through the Spirit in people's hearts again and again and again. And some people have amazing, grand, incredible debuts. And oh, it was like, a, it was like Paul on the road to Damascus got knocked down and he got, boom, he's a Christian and it's amazing and he's learning things and it's incredible. And other people come increment by increment by increment. Some babies, stubborn babies, aren't born for a long, long time. Even after they're in the hospital. Hours and hours and hours and hours and what seems like lifetimes pass before those babies actually come out. Okay? Some are 24 hours of labor or 48 hours of labor. Crazy. All right? Every person's journey is different, and yet it all begins 
the being born again by God reaching in and touching at a certain point in your life and beginning to speak to you in a way that I can't speak to you and no one else can speak to you, but he speaks in the quiet, secret parts of your heart. And then one day, as his work is coming to fruition, boom, there's a change. I don't know when that moment is. I've seen people after that moment, and they are super excited and, and saying, I don't know what happened, I'm so different. I feel, I've had people say, I feel lighter than air, like I, can, like I could do anything, I feel, feel so free, I'm forgiven, a lot of different things, but it's a realization, all right? And it suddenly comes, like, like a baby. You're born, and then what do you know? Nothing. You're a brand new person. We don't know about you as this. We don't know, you don't know anything. There's growth that happens continually for the rest of your Christian life. All right? And Nicodemus wants to be able to nail it down. And this is the hard part of what God does. You can never say to God, okay, you work this way every time. And God, I'm going I'm to lay this track down here for you. Here. Right there, and you run down it for me. He's not going to do that. God is unique in every experience, just like every human is unique. Every person I've ever taught up here in this, this room or in the room across the way in the church or wherever, every person I've ever taught has been unique and different. And yet God has the ability, not me, but God has the ability to touch the hearts of people in a unique way, only you can understand. Only you get affected by. All right? So how do we know what it is? Next verse. Verse 8, was it? I don't know. Wherever you want to go. Here you go. Verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listens Listeth, which means wherever it wants to. Listeth, and thou hearest the sound of thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Alright, here you are. You're standing outside in a windstorm. You take this... McDonald's cup. I'm gonna give you a job. I give you some tape too with this job. You take it out in a windstorm and then you just catch mm -hmm. the wind in there. You can tape it up. No. And then, <laughs> and then you can study the wind in the cup. Because you caught it, right? Right? No. What's wrong with that? Can't you can't see it. <laughs> you can't catch wind. Why can't you catch it? Isn't it real? Well, yes, but it's. Isn't it air? Isn't it? Isn't it just air under pressure? Yeah, but you can't catch pressure either. Why not? You can put pressure. You put it in an air tank all the time. Study the wind because the winds that you're moving and the air once it is in the cup is not moving. Anymore. It's not moving anymore, exactly. Because Jesus so, said, no, so there's no wind in the cup, it's just air. So you can't really say, go out in the wind and say, well, this particular wind, this one came from Alberta, Canada. No. Now, the next one next to it, this little spot of it, this came from Winnipeg. Okay? You don't know. This came from Texas. It feels warmer, must be. Nothing's labeled, you don't know where it's coming, you don't know where it's going to. You cannot control it, you cannot change it. And here's the thing, once you try to bottle it, there's no power left. Because the wind is not about the air molecules, it is about the force behind it. 
That is exactly what God is talking about in the spirit. Your life, every human, you're like the molecules, me included. Without the force behind it, there's really nothing. There's nothing there. But with the force behind it, where I don't know where it came from and where it went to, where it's going, that's how God works in your life. And when you try to capture it and bottle it and say, here's what God does, you think, yeah, no, you can't do it. Because it's, the power comes from somewhere that's really inconceivable for us. We can say, this is God doing it. Alright? Back before COVID, about a year before COVID ever happened um, and started, there was a person who passed away who gave us land as a church. And somewhere along the line, my father said, we need to build a parking lot. And he felt an intense need to build a parking lot. Now this was in the fall of 2019. We built a parking lot. Okay? Why did we build such a big parking lot? Because we needed a bigger parking lot because we had so many people that come to our church. Yeah, but it was bigger than that. What did we do last year with church? Parking lot church. Parking lot church, right? And we fit like everybody. And we fit everybody in cars. And what if we hadn't done the stone to make the parking lot. That would have been bad. Muddy, nasty mess. What if that particular person hadn't given us that property? We wouldn't have the parking lot. So where'd the force from all that happen? The spirits said, do this. And you can't say, well, I knew that God was going to do this. So you don't know. You just know, here's the push, let's do it. And that is exactly how God works. And if you don't listen to the push at the time of the push, okay, the power that's coming through with the wind, the spirit, if you don't listen to it, then things will pass by and opportunities will pass by. All right? So that big push that God was saying, do this, and he was pushing the person, I never talked to the guy. Nobody could, could convince him to do that for a long time. Especially not give the land. Alright? All of that happened from God's push to say, that's what I want you to do. Because we're going to prepare for this. We don't know what we're even preparing for, but you're going to prepare for it. Because I'm telling you. Alright? That's how God works. And that's the concept that they didn't always have when Nicodemus came along he's like well if we follow these rules God will be uh, we know if we don't follow the rules God will be very unhappy with us and if we follow these rules God will be happy with us and we'll be good Jewish people that God loves and Jesus said you, you missed it this is not what this is about I'm here to tell you, you have to think differently. You have to change, not just your mind or your body, all right? Not just the way you think about things. You have to change your whole person, your whole being. You have to let God come in and touch you in a way that changes you to be from who you are to something new. You cannot be happy with just... Well, I, I can control my own body and my own mind and I'm a strong enough person to do this and I can do enough. Jesus says it's wrong. You're not thinking right. All right? So let's pick up from there. Verse 9 through 15. Let's read that one, please. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things, and ye believe not, 
How shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent on the rope in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, so I'm telling you, he said, I don't understand. What, what are you talking about? How can it only be this? Are you telling me all the things we ever learned are no good? And Jesus says, no, I'm not telling you that all the rules you ever learned were not good, but they will not get you what you desire. If you want to be have new life, if you want to have eternal life, then there's a new way to look at this. He went back to a story about Moses, and he says, just as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness. Now, anybody know that story? Is it with him and Aaron? Yep, so there are a bunch of snakes, right? Yeah. That's a snake. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Scary. Oh, it is. Wait, what? Hold on. Here. Wasn't that the story? Wrong. There it is. Okay. <laughs> Big fangs. Okay. There's a... <laughs> Alright. There is your snake. There are a bunch of snakes. They are poisonous, deadly poisonous snakes. And the Israelites, while they're out in the wilderness, run into this group of poisonous snakes. And they are nasty and venomous. Alright? You ever been bitten by a bunch of bees one time? Yes. Nasty. Bitten by bees. Yeah. Stung by bees. Oh. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Stung by bees. So I was out the other day, and Amy was out too, and we were working at a couple things on the land, and we found two nests on the same day, and we each got stung five times from these nests. Wow. They were nasty. They actually chased Amy from the sign in the front of the property all the way into the kitchen building and stung her in there. Oh my God. Yeah, they were mean and nasty. Apparently that's what these snakes are like because they are crawling through these crowds of people and they are biting one after another after another. I don't know if they... What happened, all right? But I will tell you, God was not very happy with them in general, all the people. And so people were dropping down and dying right in front. And so God gives Moses instruction and says, I want you to go and I want you to make this bronze snake. All right, put this bronze snake on the top of a pole and I want you to go stand in the middle of Israel, the group of Israel as you guys are out in the wilderness in a spot where they can all look up to the pole. If they will look, they will live. If they will not look at that snake, the bronze snake on the pole, they will die. How do you not look at it? Stubborn? What? Worried about whatever. The whole point is have faith and look at that. And Jesus said, just like when that happened, something's going to happen different, Nicodemus. I'm going to be lifted up, and people will have to look at me. And if they will not look, they will not live. All right? When is Jesus lifted up? When he dies. When he dies on the cross. And if they will not look at that and allow that to take hold in their life and understand what he did then they, they don't understand at all what God has been doing. They will miss the point of my whole entire word and what I'm trying to communicate, the idea, my love and my light. They will miss the whole point if they can't look up at me when I'm on the cross and understand that it did something for them. Just like that snake, if they won't look, they will not live. That's the only way to survive, to understand this, all right? So I'm doing something new. You need to be, have a whole new perspective. You need to be a whole new person and let God touch you in a different way. And then, of course, along comes God's greatest message. 
right? God's greatest message, verse number 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It brings in the love of God and shows that the simplicity of it is this. Believe and you'll be saved into everlasting life. There's no great test you have to overcome. There's no great mountain to climb. There's no great, well, we'll get to the end of life and see how it works for you. We're going to weigh out your deeds because you'll all fail with that. He says everything you've thought about is wrong, but what you understand is this, God loved you enough to overlook all of your wrong thoughts if you will just accept and look up at the Son of Man. All right? Uh, verse number 17 through 21, please. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn... Condemn the world, yep. Condemn the world, but that the world through his might be saved. Verse 18, please. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But that, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that he his deeds may be make manifest that they are wrought, wrought in God. Okay, so. Everybody's condemned, he said. There was a study they did with a frog. Right? And they took this frog and they put him in very hot, almost boiling water. And he jumped right out. <laughs> they wanted to see what the frog's reaction was. And then they did another experiment with a very similar frog and put him in there into room temperature water and the frog sat there. And over time, they turned up the heat a little bit more and it sat there, turned up the heat a little more and it sat there and the heat a little more and it adjusted and it adjusted and it adjusted until it died. It never jumped out. They never held it back, but it never jumped out. The world is much like that. By the time Jesus came into the world, the world was full of darkness. And we have the very same thing today. Darkness everywhere in this world is full of evil things they do. Alright? The world has been boiling slowly, 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 slowly until no one even notices anymore. Don't even notice that things are bad and wrong. We don't even notice. And a lot of times, even as Christians, we're like, eh, that's not so bad. All right? But just like that frog in the pot, you get used to it, you get used to it, you get used to it, you get used to it. And then it's so overwhelming that you really can't get used to it anymore. There's nothing left to get used to. When Jesus came to the earth, he brought that light to the earth. And it says in there that the earth, the, the light shined in the darkness, right? We read that in the very first one. And the darkness did not understand it. And it also says in here that the men did not love, they, 
Everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be, be reproved. All right? So men, the light's coming into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They have lived, mankind has lived in a very dark place for a very long time. Gotten used to it. Don't like the light. It's not comfortable, that light. And what does the light do? It exposes things. It shows bad things. And when they see light, they say, I'd rather do the things I've been doing. Right? I'm very well adjusted to this. I like it this way. Like the frog in the boiling pot. I like it this way. I'm here. I'm comfortable. It's how I want to be. And God is here. The Spirit is here to shake it up and change it and say, no. See what the real standard is. True light changes your perspective and helps you to see I need to have honesty and I need to have obedience and I need to do these things that are clean and right and righteous in my life and not let all the world's deeds take over my life while I sit and adjust like the frog in the pot. Right? And when God shines those lights on inside of you, the Spirit shines the lights inside of you, that means, listen, react. Do something about it. What are you going to do about it? Whatever it is God tells you to do. Right? And I've had many of those struggles in my life, and some things are hard to deal with. They're very hard to deal with sometimes, where God says, I want you to do that. I want you to address this. I'm telling you this is what you should do, to be honest, and my people are truth. So do this. How does he deal with it? Well, he pushes that and says, do this. Right? It is not natural for us to want light until the Spirit comes in and touches us. So Jesus talks about this whole different concept, this idea to Nicodemus that you cannot just do things the way you were doing and hope to change enough without the Spirit touching you and beginning a new work in you there will be no change ever you can never get enough habits changed to make God happy not enough, you can never do it but if you start the process with God and you look to the Son of Man like the serpent on the pole, that will give you a new perspective and a new way. All right? So that's John 3. New thoughts about things, things to think about. Um, we'll continue on next week. And Friday night is sticky night.